Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thanks to a series of recalls, resignations, and reshuffles, San Francisco has a new district attorney, new school board members, and a new city attorney, all of whom were appointed by Mayor London Breed. Now that the mayor has a team in place that's mostly of her choosing, what will she do to confront the city's considerable challenges? Muni is in trouble. The number of people without a roof over their heads continues to grow. The cost of housing is astronomical. Office buildings all over the city stand half empty. So, is the city in for a major course change? We'll discuss after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. San Francisco has a long and storied history as a progressive city. It's maybe a little oversold. There's always been a centrist business element to San Francisco politics, but the city is changing. Fewer and fewer working class people can afford to live in a city with such ridiculous housing prices. And there certainly appears to be a backlash among some city residents over property crime, unprecedented homelessness, and the perception that city government is feckless at best, corrupt at worst. But is San Francisco's core political culture changing? Is that what these recalls are about? Joining us to discuss, we've got a great panel of political reporters. First, we've got Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, a reporter and producer with KQED News. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for having me. Got Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Alexis. And Annie Gauss, editor at the San Francisco Standard. Thanks for coming on, Annie. Thanks for having me. So, Scott, let's go to London Breed's position here in the city. How did we sort of get to this point where she seems to have appointed kind of everybody around her? Yeah, well, of course, you know, London Reed became mayor with the sudden and unexpected death of Ed Lee. And over the last several years, she has gotten to make some really important appointments. And it started off with, uh, well, more re- most recently was the city attorney, uh, Dennis Herrera, who moved over to, the, uh, to a department that was very troubled, DPW. He's now the head of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a, a vacancy there. So she appointed David Chu to replace him. He uh, is, you know, was the, in the assembly. So then there was a special election to replace uh, that person. And Matt Haney won that. And then she, she appointed Matt Dorsey to replace Matt Haney, who was on the board of supervisors. And then, of course, there was the recall of three school board members. She appointed three new school board members. And then the recall most recently of Chase Boudin, the DA. And she appointed Brooke Jenkins. Yeah. So you've got a lot of uh, different 
uh, appointments. Uh, and so even though Lyndon Breed isn't on the ballot in November, a lot of her appointees are. Uh, and so she's, you know, she's accumulated power in the sense that she has put these people who reflect her values and her priorities in these key positions at the same time. Now it's all on her. You know, you could blame the school board for certain things before. You could blame the DA for certain things. And now it's kind of her city, in a sense, uh, in a way that it wasn't before. So there are all these people that are in place that were her choice to lead these key positions and departments. Do you read that as San Francisco kind of endorsing the Breed agenda? or London Breed, just the fact that they did give her the opportunity to appoint so many people? You know, I think when people voted, for example, on well, really any of those things, um, you know, the school board election, I don't, she very much aligned herself with the recall. But I don't think people were voting to say, oh, I want to give London Breed three more appointments to the school board. I think it was more about the moment we were in. I mean, the city's been through, as we all have, the pandemic. And it created a lot of tensions and frustrations. It was focused on the school board, as you may recall, over the renaming of schools and the change in admission policy at Lowell. And it galvanized a lot of people. Uh, I don't think, I mean, she was in some ways, Breed, the beneficiary of that in that she got to name some people and she aligned herself with a successful recall campaign, kind of as she did with the DA, although she didn't publicly come out and support the recall of Chesa Boudin. But nonetheless, you know, she has she has been the beneficiary of that politically in terms of power. Um, you know, whether or not it's an endorsement of her, I think it's too soon to say. Hey, Annie, you know, there's been a lot of pandemic and political upheaval, like you were just hearing Scott talk about. Do you think Mayor Breed has the task of trying to sort of unite some of the San Francisco political divisions? Is that something we can even expect from the mayor? Well, I don't think the city's political divisions are going away any anytime soon. But I, I do think that we'll see, you know, and, and as Scott was discussing, we'll see a bit more of Mayor Breed's style of governance. You know, I, 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 I don't think it was the voters... Um, it, you know, made the choice to necessarily grant Mayor Breed more power. I think a lot of voters looked at what was happening over the past couple of years and said, like, whoa, I don't know, you know, this this is not what we want, but whatever comes next could most certainly be better. <laughs> and I don't think it was necessarily about giving her more power. Um, but, you know, I, I think it may, it may be the case that um, voters take an opportunity to look at Mayor Breed a little bit more closely and more closely examine her role and and her agenda and whether that's something that they want to keep, um, you know, in, in a longer term sense. I think that, um, you know, the city has been through a lot and, you know, there's still pandemic fallout that will continue to happen. And if you go in a lot of directions from here. Um, but I think that, you know, we'll see a bit more of her agenda in action and voters will eventually decide, um, you know, that's something they want to stick with. Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter producer with KQD. You know, even as San Francisco has become this national punching bag on our sort of urban issues, and even as this corruption scandal has in enveloped a bunch of people around Mayor Breed. She's kind of remained fairly unscathed. Can you remind us a little bit about the corruption scandal and why it seems like she was able to skate on it? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, the broad strokes of that corruption scandal are a number of top city department heads uh, were indicted by the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office saying that they were taking bribes, essentially. They're taking bribes for trying to or awarding contracts to, you know, construction firms who are saying, here, let me slide a little in your pocket. Let me help you out with this. And you give me that multi-million dollar contract paid for by voters. Um, but if you, if uh, listeners recall, that scandal really broke with Muhammad 
Nuru, the former director of public works, right before a very important time, the pandemic. So it was dominating the news in the beginning. There was all this information about, you know, this was uh, Mayor London Breed's, you know, kind of top man. Uh, There's also uh, her other close allies, uh, uh, Harlan Kelly, who was at the uh, top of the PUC, who I should say is the one person who has has pled not guilty, whereas the others have already pled guilty in this whole scandal. Uh, And these were, you know, in by anyone's view, her top people, her closest allies in any other news environment, this might have spelled some danger for London Breed. But the pandemic hit right after. And if you remember, there's a lot of positivity around how she led the city through the pandemic, which may have helped her a lot in that instance. Hmm. You know, Scott, is Mayor Breed the most powerful mayor in a long while? Like, how do you see her in the sweep of mayors, you know, going back to Willie Brown or Diane Feinstein? <laughs> I don't think anybody would say that London Breed's more powerful than Willie Brown. I mean, Willie Brown uh, really knew and knows uh, power more than anything. I mean, he was really more about power than policy. And he knew how to put people in places. You know, a lot of the people Joe alluded to as being close to London Breed were really Willie Brown's appointees. You know, Harlan Kelly, his wife, Naomi Kelly, Mohammed Nuru. I mean, these are I mean, other other mayors promoted them. But, you know, these were people that Willie Brown cultivated, as was London Breed. You know, it's funny. I, I interviewed uh, Willie Brown a few weeks ago and I asked him what he you know about his legacy. And he said, you know, the thing he wa- that his biggest legacy is the people he cultivated. Gavin Newsom, you know, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi to a certain extent. Uh, and, you know, so at London Breed. Uh, so, yeah, I think she's powerful in the sense that, you know, she's gotten to make a lot of appointments in the same way that Gavin Newsom as governor has. You know, he's appointed a senator. He's appointed attorney general, secretary of state. I mean, so he has by virtue of, you know, the moment he is governing. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, how successful and powerful you are. Some of it anyway is, is just sort of luck and happenstance, you know, yeah. and London Breed is is mayor at a time where she has gotten to make a lot of appointments. You know, that said, the city is not necessarily in great shape. I mean, we can talk about a lot of the problems that are facing San Francisco and that we hear about that helped fuel the recall, both recalls, really. Uh, so is she powerful? Yeah, she's she has consolidated power. It's not clear who's going to run against her next year when she's up for re-election. Uh, so she's really embraced that middle port portion of the electorate in San Francisco, and it's kind of hard to get around her politically from the left or right. Mm. We're talking about politics in a post-recall San Francisco with Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQD's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer with KQD News, and Annie Gauss, an editor with SF Standard. We're going to start talking a little bit about Mayor Breed's agenda, but we want to hear from you. What's your agenda for the city? What's your vision for San Francisco? What do you want it to be? We, uh, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQD Forum, or email the forum at, or just forum at kqd.org. And he wanted to come to you. What is Breed hoping to do with this power? Like, what's her sort of stated agenda, and how does that kind of match up with, you know, her budget and and what she's actually working on? Yeah, well, she's put a lot of focus in in her budget and kind of in many of her public statements this year. Um, She's zeroing in on public safety, getting public safety into a better place in the city, um, and housing, and housing kind of at, at all levels, not just sort of housing you know, market rate housing, um, but also affordable housing and supportive housing and other housing options to help people get off the streets. Um, 
and um and also kind of getting downtown going again downtown is um you know the considered the economic engine for the city and it's kind of not uh it's, it's still pretty pretty empty um and that could pose you know some major problems for the city down the road um so i you know those are kind of her three um you know keys the key um three key pieces of her agenda you know with the appointment of da brooke jenkins you know she has sort of a more cooperative partner on the public safety side um you know she uh she and you know and others have also worked to kind of um aggressively um, add to the city's portfolio of supportive housing options and shelter options, um, you know, and we'll see more of that in the coming months. Um, and, you know, depending on how the November election shakes out, she may, you know, he, even have more, you know, a little bit more control over things like that. But, um, you know, I think that's what she's hoping to get done in the near term um, and for the rest of this term. You know, Joe, there's been a lot of politically contentious things in San Francisco but we've got this kind of empty downtown. We've got these huge muni problems. Do you think we're talking about the wrong things right now in terms of the actual future of the city? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. We're talking about um, uh, voters a lot. But there's a difference between voters and the community, right? Because people who vote tend to be a certain population, especially depending on what election we're talking about, whether it's a, a, this right now we're talking about November, but even just this past June, different set of voters, right? So what do voters care about? They tend to care about public safety and property crime, that kind of thing. Um, but what does the community care about? That is a totally different question and something that uh, uh, we we should people should keep in mind when we're, we're talking more broadly about what issues affect San Franciscans. Yeah. We're talking politics, post-recall, San Francisco, going to get your visions for the city after the break. What's your agenda for San Francisco? The number is 866-733-6786. The email is forum at kqed.org. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about politics in a post-recall San Francisco, a city facing a lot of challenges, as many of us know. We're joined by Annie Gauss, editor at SF Standard, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer here at KQED News. The other big political moment of the last 
couple weeks at least, uh, it's been, been a busy year, uh, is one of London Breed's school board appointees has gotten into some hot water. Joe, can you fill us in on that? Yeah, so basically when the, the commissioner, her name is Ann Sue, and when she was filling out a questionnaire, this is a usual thing, right? You know, political groups, uh, parent groups, whatever, right. ask you, fill out a questionnaire for me. Will you, politician? She fills out the questionnaire, and she says uh, that one of the biggest challenges she sees is a lack of family support for black and brown students due to, uh, quote, unstable family environments caused by housing and food insecurity, along with a lack of parental encouragement to focus on learning and and causing children to not value learning. And that is really the comment that got a lot of black leaders, Latinx leaders, really outraged because she's essentially saying parental there's no parental encouragement in these homes to value learning. Uh, the NW, uh, SF chapter of the NAACP just this weekend, just yesterday, uh, voted to uh, call on her to step down. should note that they also backed uh, former school board commissioner Allison Collins from when she made her own controversial statements. But there's a lot of growing swell to ask Hansu to step down right now. And Marilyn and Breed has her back. Marilyn and Breed said, this is a teaching moment. She's said something uh, terrible, but she at least apologized. And and London Breed on Saturday, I was in Chinatown, was was basically calling for um, folks not to uh, cancel her. <laughs> uh, Scott Schaefer, longtime political observer of the city. What do you think is going to happen to her? To Ann Shue? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I was just looking this morning to see who's uh, jumped into that race. Uh, and there's I think there's three or four other candidates running, um, you know, no one that I recognized. You know, the recall... Both recalls, really, and the anti-Asian hate crimes have really awakened in some ways the uh, Chinese-American, the Asian community in San Francisco. And uh, they were very supportive of her. I think the, in, the, in the school system is like 40 percent of the kids are uh, AAPI. Uh, and so I think, you know, unless there is a – something else happens, um, you know, I think that you're going to see her, you know, possibly most likely get reelected. Uh, you know, there is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, support for changing the way the school board operates, focusing more on metrics and less on politics. Um, and so I think, you know, there's probably some goodwill uh, that the three new school board members will have going into November. That said, if she steps on another landmine, um, you know, perhaps she'll decide that it's, you know, for the best of the city or maybe herself to just get out of the line of fire and step down. But, you know, assuming nothing like that happens, you know, I would imagine that, uh, you know, she'll probably win, you know, uh, get, get the right to, you know, get elected to that seat. But, you know, so, it's a long time between now and then. Yeah, so you know, one thing I'm hearing a lot from uh, Black community leaders on this is this kind of feeling of an unequal approach, right? We had previously uh, a Black school board member who said something uh, uh, fairly insensitive to the Asian American community or the Asian community writ large, and she was recalled. Now we have a, a, an Asian school board commissioner doing the flip to the Black community, and these Black leaders are saying they don't feel as supported. They don't feel like people are hearing their voices as strongly. That the concern for their community isn't nearly as strong as the concern was before for the Asian community. And that and what how this is handled is really, I think, going to shape that conversation of what the black community feels San Francisco has its back or not moving forward. So that's one of those things. I, I can't remember a time when somebody took one of those questionnaires and made that kind of statement and, and what's clearly a mistake. Um, yeah, although, you know, it's pretty consistent with what she was saying during the recall campaign. Mm -hmm. right. You know, I talked with her and uh, others from the Chinese community. I mean, 
you know, not to defend it, but it, it's not like a departure necessarily from the kinds of things that uh, were said during the recall campaign. Mm. Any Gauss, um, I want to talk to you about uh, Mayor Breed's Tenderloin Center. You wrote about this recently. You know, this was basically a de facto supervised injection site uh, in San Francisco where people could get all kinds of services, but also um, could could use drugs. Um, it's now appears to be closing in December or maybe closing in December. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so that particular site is expected to close in December. Um, but the city says that they will retool the model and sort of refine what they were doing and open and open it up again in some evolved form somewhere <laughs> after that. Um, you know, it was obviously a bit of an experiment for the city. And it was, um, of course, a part of uh, Mayor Breed's Tenderloin Emergency Declaration. You know, I, I, I think the site um, obviously you know, it, tr- it attracted some controversy, namely around, you know, the fact that they were allowing people to use illegal drugs on the site um, and, you know, sort of had mixed reviews in in, uh, in light of how it was initially described, which was kind of as a, a site. It was its first name was the linkage center, implying that people would be linked to services. And that didn't really happen as much as I think people were hoping. Um, so that will be, you know, take take some evolved form in the future. You know, a similar facility, I think, will probably open up um, somewhere with that offers some of those some of those basic services. Um, but you know, it, the the tenderloin emergency more broadly, I think, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag. I think the the, the police response maybe at best sort of shifted things around. At least that's what our reporters have heard from um, folks they talked to in those neighborhoods. Um, You know, we'll we'll see where that goes. Um, She now has, you know, as we talked about, a more um, a district attorney who was more in line with her agenda and what she wants to get done in the neighborhood. So we'll just see what where it goes from here. Yeah, and I, you know, I think this isn't the issue around open air drug markets. I mean, this is something that London Breed talked about uh, before the recall of Chesa Boudin. Brooke Jenkins is also talking about it. She wants to review, you know, all these um, plea deals that were made uh, during Chesa Boudin's uh, final, you know, months in office that around around drug uh, cases. Um, you know, there's also a bill in the legislature to create these uh, safe injection sites uh, that Scott Weiner has been pushing. I believe Jerry Brown vetoed it uh, when he was governor. I think Gavin Newsom, you know, may have a different attitude about it. So, you know, this is this is clearly a big issue for San Francisco. And, you know, all these issues we're talking about, Alexis, you know, if they were easy to solve, they would have been solved a long time ago. You know, I mean, we haven't really touched on homelessness a lot. Um, it's it, These are things that have vexed San Francisco for decades. And, um, you know, I don't know that any city necessarily has solved these problems. Problems. I mean, some are unique to San Francisco, like the cost of building housing. San Francisco is now the most expensive place on planet Earth to build anything <laughs> for various reasons. So, you know, some of these things are, you know, very specialized problems in San Francisco, but a lot of them are just, you know, you go to L.A. And San right. Diego, it seems like Sacramento. It, San Francisco more distills the problems that a lot of West Coast cities have into a very small city. Well, yeah, right. We're seven by seven, right? And so the and, and because of development south of Market and, and other parts of San Francisco – 
these things have gotten more and more concentrated in terms of the problems, you know, homelessness, open air drug dealing and that kind of thing. And so it's harder to miss, you know, whereas before it was maybe a little more spread out. And of course, the pandemic has made all this worse, you know, people being evicted, uh, living in their vehicles, you know, all kinds of things that have just made for, you know, made life in cities much tougher. Yeah. You know, Joe, when we talk about Brooke Jenkins, obviously the rhetoric is different, but what can you tell us about what might actually change on sort of a programmatic level or how the, the DA actually works in the city? Well, you know, she has spoken a lot about maintaining a lot of Jason Boudin's policies. And for, for her, when, like, for instance, we were in Chinatown on Saturday, and what she was telling reporters and telling us uh, just on the street was, you know, she wants to keep a lot of his policies in place, but it's the tone at the top, that messaging about whether or not San Francisco is a place that will prosecute places. Now, that's what she's saying. But as Scott was saying, she's she is reviewing plea deals. She is going to review different policies and maybe come with a change. She is going to maintain the Innocence Commission that uh, Chesa championed. She did uh, replace the top uh, prosecutor in charge of investigating police, which many said was a signal about how she might handle police investigations in the future. I think really what she wants also is prosecutorial prosecutorial discretion, as, right. as, as they would say. You know, whereas Chesa Boudin may have said, I'm not going to charge any juveniles as adults. She's not saying I want to charge a lot of juveniles, but I want to have the discretion. I want my prosecutors to have some discretion to, you know, to do certain things that were kind of ruled out under the previous DA. And you had her on Political Breakdown, too. Great interview. You want to know more about her. Yeah. Twice. No, not twice. Once. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let's bring in uh, caller Russell in San Francisco. Welcome, Russell. Thank you. Uh, so in, in talking about the vision for San Francisco, my, my concern is that the foundation of any great city is really having a reasonably low crime rate. You know, if, it is, if it's low, you can attract businesses, the economy can grow. But San Francisco's had so many problems in the past five or 10 years. And I just wanted to quickly tell an anecdote about a friend of mine who retired as a cop uh, that I think points to it, uh, points to one method that we should focus on. He retired recently. He had picked up a, some perpetrator, I guess, on this, literally on a street separating San Mateo County and San Francisco. The perp is in the back seat. They're driving down the road and they instead of turning right to go to san francisco they turn left to go to san mateo at which point the guy in the backseat goes crazy he's screaming i didn't do it in san mateo i didn't san francisco the the issue was that we have a revolving door in san francisco he knew he'd be out like the next day san mateo had a minimum sentencing for what he'd done i believe it was two weeks so the role of deterrence i think is very very important and judges have been letting people out so quickly. Well, it seems that some kind of minimum sentencing laws, you know, nothing too penurious, but something that would keep people in there to act as a deterrent would be very helpful. Thanks for your perspective, Russell. What do we know uh, on a evidence level about, you know, because we have, I, I look at Sacramento, which has like a deterrence heavy DA, right? Um, supposedly someone who talks, and we look at San Francisco. Crime rates have been going up. So, you know, what do we make of this debate? Well, it's so funny because that story the caller just mentioned, I heard that exact same story or a version of that same story from another cop who told me, that, you know, so I don't know if it's a kind of an apocryphal urban myth, the kind of thing that's going around or if it's real. I mean, it is true. San Mateo does have, you know, their, their DA has uh, been, you know, much tougher on crime, so to speak. But if you look around the state, 
uh, states or counties like Sacramento, where Anne Marie Schubert is the DA, ran for attorney general as a tough on crime. Uh, you know, she solved the Golden State Killer case with a you know DNA, and you know the crime rate there, the violent crime rate up is gone up there faster than it has here. Kern County, which arguably the most conservative county in the state of California, has seen its murder rate go up much faster than other counties. In fact, most counties. So, I don't think you know these these issues are complicated, and I don't think you can. Uh, you know, necessarily say. I mean, and the, you know, the crime rate in San Francisco has bumped up and down, up and down throughout the pandemic. You know, violent crime especially went up, you know, or in the early in the year or two, you know, of the pandemic and, uh, you know, came back down. So, you know. Even Brooke Jenkins, even the new district attorney says and said to said, I believe, to Scott and Marisa on Political Breakdown said that, you know, she can't snap her fingers and make crime go away. Crime rates are not necessarily attached to any one district attorney, while the recall race against Chesa Boudin did make a lot of hay about crime rates and his policies and being uh, and accusing him of being too progressive. It wasn't necessarily she herself, Jenkins, would maintain that it's not necessarily true. Well, and you know, I think it's also important to remember that while you know San Francisco and other counties have quote unquote progressive DAs, you know, the voters of California. Three times, really, have, uh, you know, with Prop 47, Prop 57, making it easier uh, for people in prison to get good time, uh, you know, for that have shown efforts to rehabilitate and get out on parole more quickly, uh, and also reducing a lot of the drug crimes and low-level nonviolent crimes from um, uh, felonies to misdemeanors. You know, voters passed that in California. And then more recently, when there was an opportunity to roll some of that back, it was overwhelmingly rejected. So I think we have to be careful. And just here in San Francisco, the same time the DA was being recalled, Rob Bonta, the attorney general who you know embraces probably 95% of the same policies that Chase Boudin does, got 76% of the vote in San Francisco. So you know, I know people don't like to hear, oh, it's complicated, <laughs> but it's complicated. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about politics in a post-recall San Francisco with Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk and co-host of Political Breakdown. We're just talking about the episode that they had Brooke Jenkins on, if you want a more detailed history of, of her life and her plans. We're also joined by Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer with KQED News, and Annie Gauss, an editor with SF Standard. We're also trying to get some of your visions for San Francisco. Uh, we know that there have been a certain set of hot-button political topics, and we know that those might not actually be what everybody in the community actually cares about. So you can call us and tell us what you do care about. Number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You know, Annie, as we've been sitting here talking... I keep thinking, like, is San Francisco a dysfunctional city? Do you see it that way, as a city that just, for a variety of reasons, cannot work right now? Oh, I, don't, <laughs> uh, I think there are a lot of cities that are dysfunctional uh, for, for, for different reasons. But, um, you know, I, I think the broadly the residents of this city feel that San Francisco is pretty dysfunctional at this moment. You know, at the standard, we... Um, ran a voter poll in May. Um, and that is, that's kind of the main message that came out um, loud and clear in in that poll. And other polls have kind of suggested, uh, the, you know, things mm-hmm. to the same effect, where um, overwhelmingly, you know, folks who responded to the poll were 
really unhappy with the direction of the city, um, not happy with the performance of city government. You know, we pulled um, um, basically approval ratings on some of the key decision making bodies, the mayor, the police, the board of supervisors, board of education, and everyone got pretty poor reviews, like some some uh, more poor than others. Um, but there's no question um, that I, I think uh, a lot of people here uh, that have a seem to have a consensus that this city is not working very well. Dysfunctional is kind of a whole other loaded term. But um, I, I think there's no question there's a lot of room for improvement. You know, I, I think that's true for sure. Uh, but I think people are cranky generally right now. I mean, if you look, <laughs> yeah. at, if you look at national polling, the Supreme Court, yes. uh, you know, Congress, the president, you're, you know, it, it, right down the line, you've seen people's uh, support or approval of major institutions falling. Uh, and that is true in San Francisco as well. Uh, and with good reason. I mean, if you look at things like uh, the Central Subway, a mile, 1.7 miles uh, underground connecting the T-line on 3rd to Chinatown, it was supposed to open in late 2018. It's now <laughs> still not open, and maybe it'll open this year. Maybe it won't. Um, you know, so th- I think there are things like that. That you know, the Van Ness corridor, which was supposed to improve and has improved transit speed down Van Ness Avenue, took a very, very like decades. You know, mm-hmm. from planning to implementation. So I think there. And then you look around, you know, and you see homeless encampments and all kinds of things. So, you know, yes, the, people are cranky, but yes, there's also good reason. I think. And that, and that actually makes me wonder, like, how much of the political forces we saw rise up during our local recalls are going to keep going? You know, we had this voter upswell of anger after school closures, get rid of our school school board members. This anger about rising crime, get rid of the DA. But now we have some of those people running for office, right? We have kind of a uh, we have Leanna Louie in the Sunset District running for supervisor against incumbent Gordon Marr. Sorry to throw out different random uh, specific names, but she is one of the pe- central figures of the recalls. So can the recalls turn a no into a yes? And what do you think? You know, I I, I think the sent- we will see it will be a litmus test for the sentiment of the city. I yeah, think yeah. Newsom survived the recall quite nicely. Yeah, <laughs> We're talking about politics in a post-recall San Francisco with Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer with KQED News, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Annie Gauss, editor at SF Standard. Got a bunch of comments coming in. Reinhold writes, Mayor Breed might make a good small-town mayor. A city like San Francisco deserves someone better equipped to deal with the problems that plague our beloved city. Rachel writes, a truly visionary city again that can inspire the rest of the country, this time with post-progressive politics that brings the best of all political sectors for higher ground policies. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're joined by Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter producer at KQED News, Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk, and Annie Gauss, editor at SF Standard. And we are talking about politics in post-recall San Francisco. Let's bring in uh, Leah from San Francisco. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm a native. I was born here in 1951, and I I take Muni, and so I see a lot of stuff on the street every day. When I was a little girl, we had to get dressed up and wear gloves, and I know that's not going to come back. (laughs) However, Mm -hmm. I was staying over at a friend's house who's a librarian, and I looked up from the bathroom, and she had a picture of hell from Hieronymus Bosch. Now, when I take Muni, there are people on Market Street and on Mission that are screaming because of the drugs they take. So my first suggestion is to undo Ronald Reagan and bring back mental hospitals because we've gotten to the part where we're like Charles Dickens. And so I want all these people to have a different safe place. They've been mixing them up, and Laguna Honda and the old people and the drug addicts don't mix, and that's destroying it. Second thing, I think the Muni drivers deserve a medal because they are refereeing <laughs> God knows what. You can't imagine. Well, they're doing all the busing, and, every, and it's, 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 not, it's crazy. Yeah. And I just want my, my city back, a yeah. decent city. On, Mar- on Mission Street, it's filthy with graffiti from beginning to end, and I'm embarrassed. And I, I go on Market Street, and I hear people speaking different languages, and I feel like apologizing for the, the state that we're in. And we can, and we have fixed it before. Yeah. We need mental hospitals. Yeah. Thanks, Lee. Let me, I, we're talking during the break that maybe this one issue, just seeing the human despair on our streets, particularly among unhoused people, is maybe this kind of big controlling issue in the city, particularly because, as Leah's noting, it just kind of makes people feel like they've, they've lost the city. Um, Scott, w- what do you think can realistically be done, given that this has been a problem for so long, and it seems like everything that gets done, the problem gets worse? Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, I, I used to work for a mayor in San Francisco, Art Agnos, who got elected in 87. He used to talk, he was an old social worker, and he used to talk about compassion fatigue, uh, which was true 30 years ago. You know, people got tired of, of the homeless encampments at that, at that time in front of City Hall. And it's true, what we've tried and spent a lot of money on uh, San Francisco has a $14 billion budget. You know, that's a lot of money. We're spending about a, a million dollars a day on homelessness. And it's obviously, you know, you can't see the results. The state is spending billions of dollars. You know, I think because there, a lot of people uh, across the spectrum have gotten to the point where they feel like things aren't working, let's try something different. Uh, to the caller's point about the mental hospitals, you know, there is uh, legislation in Sacramento now to create what the governor calls care courts, which would um, require counties to have a system that would um, compel people into mental health and, and drug uh, and alcohol addiction treatment under certain circumstances with certain protections because, you know, the, the caller alluded to Ronald Reagan. I mean, there were a lot of abuses of that system, and there are concerns still mm-hmm. about that. But I do think that uh, the legislature uh, passed, I think that passed that legislation, the Senate did uh, unanimously, uh, and it's now, uh, you know, going through the process. It hasn't gotten to the governor's desk yet. It's There's a lot of questions left in terms of how it's going to be implemented. But, you know, I think that that would be a big change. 
change, you know, because I think that one of the things that does disturb people, understandably, is seeing folks on the streets with, you know, all kinds of issues that, you know, they need help. They need help. They're desperate. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. went through this personally with a former student of mine. I used to be an artist in residence at a high school, right, for seven years. And this is a kid that I knew when he was 14 years old, when he had his first crushes, when he had his first uh, big art successes. And then one day while reporting out on Mission Street, I, I saw him homeless and he's asking me for 20 bucks. So I spent two years trying to get him mental health help and housing and care. And you know what? The system just kept spitting him back out. And eventually he died of a fentanyl overdose. He was 25 years old, 25 years old, young man who I knew as a teenager. And I, I'm a reporter. I know the levers of the systems. I know who to call. I know every phone number. I know every step. I know every resource. And even I couldn't get him out of there. If I can't do that, what hope is there for anyone to help? You know, it's funny. When we do shows, you know, I know that there's at the top of the funnel for homelessness, there's all this money going in. But then you get down to like, well, how much is going to a tenderloin SRO social worker you know, and it's like a couple bucks a day for each person that's in one of these tenderloin SROs. It's supposed to be getting supportive housing. You look at what's happening at Laguna Honda. The reason there's people there is because there's no other beds to put people who have long-term mental health and, and substance abuse challenges. So I, I, that's the part I don't understand. <laughs> you know, it's like we know there's money going in at the top. But then when you go look at the bottom, yeah, there's, there's no services and there's no money. Like, where's the money? Well, importantly, there is on on the ballot, there's going to be a homeless department oversight commission. This comes after some uh, investigative reporting by our friends at the San Francisco Chronicle who looked into some abuses in, in funding in the system. And, um, you know, it's an annual budget of, of hundreds of millions of dollars. Now to have an oversight commission, potentially, should voters say yes to it, that would give some oversight to how it's being spent. Yeah. Well, you have to wonder, like, why hasn't there been oversight? site up to now like isn't that the city's job you know you're giving all this money to these sro owners and like and not doing the inspections or overlooking the conditions and so you have people on the streets who don't want to go into those uh into those facilities because they're not safe uh they don't have you know adequate bathrooms whatever it might be so you know again it's complicated but i mean i think they're you know the, the idea of having an oversight commission maybe it's a good idea but you know you have to wonder why hasn't the city done it right and, and you know to that actually brings us beautifully back to the beginning of the show when we're talking about the mayor we have a strong mayor system in San Francisco the strong mayor system that gives a lot of uh, executive control over a lot of departments but I guess with this with this measure we're seeing sh- uh, an idea of should we kind of push back on that a little bit let's bring in a few more callers. Uh, Charnel in San Francisco. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I really am so happy that we started talking about fentanyl and um, how it's affecting our mm-hmm. our students. You know, um, I am a teacher here in San Francisco Unified, a sixth grade sixth grade teacher, and the last couple of years have just been quite insane, um, as we all know. You know, mm-hmm. our students are getting hooked and know about this fentanyl i mm. had i've had sixth graders sixth graders mm. yeah sixth graders sixth graders two one of my students um who is who wasn't is supposed to be a 10th grader passed away two years ago from fentanyl overdose another one of my students a sixth grader before we left was used fentanyl and was in the hospital 
this is this is the system itself, right? It's the foundation of the system is education. And we in San Francisco are not investing enough in our students to be able to, one, get away from, from drugs on the street as a sixth grader, to even be able to understand that this is not what they should be doing. We're not in the, the state of mind right now to be able to support especially our black and brown students. Mm. Um, as there was a, an article the other day that came out stating how SFUSD has failed our black and brown students in math, stating that, like, they're doing great. We are pushing boundaries. But inevitably, the data is showing that that's not happening. Also, our so district... What, wait, can I just ask you, so what do you want to see change? What do you want to see happen? I want our district to stop funding the people at the top and, and stop cutting teachers. That's something that just happened last year. We, as the teacher union itself, was fighting and telling the district, saying, hey, this money that you all say we do not have, we need to take it away from wherever else it's going and focus directly on our teachers, directly on our students. And not at the top. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I was. So, I was thank you so much for that p- perspective. And I'm so sorry. Those stories are just so it's just so sad. That that hits me right where I live. I, I gotta say, I you know, I was I was born and raised in SF. I went to Wallenberg and School of the Arts high schools. Uh, I I'm you know Puerto Rican myself, and a lot of my I, I saw a lot of my schoolmates go through uh, drug addiction and drug problems. Um, and, but the difference now, of course, is that that can be even more deadly than it was before, right? And the services she's talking about are so important. Uh, when I was young, I had a bit of a rough time at home, and I found myself in Huckleberry House, you know, established in uh, the time of the Summer of Love, really going back to when San Francisco put its heart out there for youth. And those wraparound services, those teachers, people being there for you, it was so important for me as a kid, so important for my classmates as a kid. And to see any of that gutted or, or taken away is just brutal. You know, somebody, one of the callers earlier said that muni drivers deserve medals for what they have to deal with. And I would add teachers. I would add teachers to that list. I mean, they have to deal with so many things, uh, you know, from, you know, poverty and family dysfunction and lack of, you know, large school sizes and, you know, just all kinds of things. And there's a crisis in the teaching profession, I think, too. A lot of people are leaving and retiring. And who is going to go into that profession, you know, if they're not adequately paid and having to deal with all the things, you know, not to mention, you know, Zoom learning that uh, Mm -hmm. teachers went through. You know, it's it's very tough. Yeah. Any guess um, on schools? You know, our caller was also mentioning the sort of political situation uh, of where funding was is allocated. Do you see any changes coming on that in the future? Um, well, I'm kind of keeping an eye on what happens at the state level, um, because it's obviously not a new concern that schools, um, you know, are underfunded in various ways. And um you know, the, the district is is and, you know, along with other districts across the across the country is entering, you know, a difficult period because a lot of students left during the pandemic. And that has an impact on the funding that they get from the state, um, you know, uh, daily. I forget what what it's called, but basically yeah. attendance rates. Um, and so um, I'm kind of watching to see what happens at the state level. You know, I um, don't know specifically what they're mm-hmm. You know, I know they're they're making efforts to 
cut the budget quite drastically. And I think we'll see a lot of controversy in the way about the ways in which that they do that. But I think, um, you know, it's important to also keep an eye on the state level and see how what adjustments they make they may make in terms of how they fund school dr- districts that have suffered in the pandemic. I would say, you know, the good news is that the state is flush with money. There was huge surplus. And, uh, you know, for the last several budget years, uh, the state has added money to the schools based on the formula. And, you know, I would also point out that when Jerry Brown was governor, they implemented this local control funding formula, which gives extra money to school districts that have high numbers of foster care kids, English learners, uh, kids that are um, eligible for school lunch programs, so low-income families. So there have been some things that have been tried, you know, to funnel additional money into the school districts that, uh, you know, need it most. Um, but obviously, you know, it's a big problem. Yeah. Uh, Chris in San Francisco, you've got a bit of a different vision for what needs to happen in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so my commentary is mostly more focused on environmental initiatives and um, largely agriculture in the state of California. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved here in 2018 and um, I do tech as my day job, but I'm working on trying to start a queer urban farming company called Friendly Sprouts, and um, I'm curious to know uh, if there might be any opportunities to connect urban agriculture in San Francisco to help solve um, some of our other problems. Yeah, yeah thanks, Chris. You know, I, I and I want to, I think, take this, uh, Scott, to be like, there are all these other elements of sort of a, a, a progressive vision for a city, you know, environmental stewardship and, you know, maybe more food production inside the city, our water management. There are all these other things. So, like, what does it mean to be a progressive city now like San Francisco, especially when we have these other problems that seem to be kind of blotting out perhaps some of the those other possibilities? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it, it is putting people uh, at the center of policymaking and decisions and uh, insisting on accountability from the people who are implementing policies. So it's not just giving the money and having policies that give people second chances if they've gotten into trouble in one way or another, but also making sure that the programs and the funding that is being spent to help folks who need it most uh, and to deal with problems like climate change, that that money is being spent in a way that is actually helping to solve the problem and not just, you know, going, being wasted or frittered away in some way. So, you know, I think it's it's both. It's sort of like a tough love in a way. You know, you want to have policies that encourage more housing and affordable housing and all these things that progressives care about, uh, but you want to do it in a way that isn't just throwing, you know, good money after bad. Yeah. We have a... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Annie. Oh, yeah. I was just going to add that um, it prior to the pandemic, it was almost like the city was on a bit of a sugar high for a number of years. So we were kind of on top of the world and had all the money in the world. And, um, you know, now that's not the case anymore. And we're having to do more with less and with even more problems in some areas. And, you know, so as Scott was saying, um, I, I think that we'll see a lot more of a focus on outcomes um, and, and, you know, tracking things like homelessness and more closely. We talked about the Homelessness Commission and, you know, continued introspection about what what it really means to have progressive policies in a city like ours. I think, you know, things could also be a lot worse because uh, because of the pandemic, you know, we were able to get a lot of funding for a number of programs, including uh, public transit from the federal government. Uh, Thank Nancy Pelosi uh, and President (laughs) Biden and uh, a lot of the Democrats who helped funnel so much federal money. I think Muni in particular has been, and BART, you know, 
have really been saved by federal money that's not going to be there much longer. And they're still facing, you know, declining ridership and all the other problems. So, you know, I think that we, the blow has been softened a bit by, by that incredible influx of federal money. Yeah. And with that, I should mention that there is a, uh, a sales tax, a renewal of a sale, uh, already existing sales tax to fund transportation. That'll be on this ballot. Yeah. We've got. Uh, I want to get to a few comments here. Uh, Lawrence writes. Uh, I think we have to go back to the Reagan governorship and Proposition 13 to find the roots of what everyone is blaming on current leadership. Mira writes. I agree with the caller that we need more mental health support and make people accept the help, or else, if they share the city with the rest of us and the visitors, they have the responsibility to get themselves in shape. The city has deteriorated before our eyes. As progressive policies have dug in over the last decade, we can have a fair system for all and hold people accountable, whether for drugs or crime. The current state of affairs is unacceptable. I'm all for the new DA to get tough on crime and continue rehab programs that have shown positive results. Susie tweets, the mark of a great city is democracy and fighting corruption, a.k.a. not letting a strong man mayor appoint all of our officials, not allowing for the proven corruption to continue Etc. Joe, I wanted to ask you one more thing. You know, you spend a lot of time reporting out in in neighborhoods uh, around San Francisco, not just you know, kind of on our downtown. How, how are things out in the neighborhoods? Do they feel as dire as they do when you're sort of you know in the financial district and there's well, no one? It's there? funny. Whenever I have friends visiting from another part of town, I'm always like, please don't just spend all your time in downtown. <laughs> please don't, because if you go out to these other neighborhoods, you go out to the Richmond district, you go out to the Sunset, you go out to the Excelsior, you're gonna have a nice time. It's very pleasant out there. I mean, we are struggling with homelessness in a lot of neighborhoods. I'm not saying it's great. There's there's certainly uh, problems out there. Uh, AAPI community is feeling a lot of hate instance uptick during the pandemic. But I would say it is a totally different world in the outer neighborhoods than it is in the downtown core. I, I would just echo that. And you know, I live in the Mission. We work in the Mission. We're here in the Mission right now. Uh, I love the Mission. I've lived here you know, over 20 years. Yes, there are problems, like every place. But it's such a vibrant neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 just the people on the streets, the artists, the innovation, the small business people who are you know, against all odds, still open and thriving <laughs> in many cases. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be said. I think it's important that we not uh, just hop on the negativity yeah. bandwagon, you know. Annie, how Absolutely. about you two? It, what's your what's your neighborhood you go to where you're like, ah, I love this San Francisco? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, most of San Francisco is wonderful, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, for example, there are so, so many great things happening. You know, for example, this past weekend, I went to the new Tunnel Tops. Uh, mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Park, yeah, jealous. That's cool. That's yeah, cool. It, and it was it was glorious, and I recommend everybody everybody check it, check it out. But yeah, there's a lot of wonderful things happening too, and and our neighborhoods are and will continue to be wonderful and vibrant. We're talking about we have been talking about at least the future of San Francisco with Annie Gauss, an editor at San Francisco Standard. Thanks for joining us. I've also been joined here in studio by Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, reporter and producer at KQED News, and Scott Schaefer, senior editor for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you, Alexis. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, 
always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. 